It is so wonderful to be back, and I want to thank you guys so much for praying for me. You know what you do when you're home with the flu and bronchitis? You study about the tabernacle (laughs) and the priestly garments. Seriously, it's wonderful to be back tonight. And my voice, we're just going to play it by ear. Um, Sometimes I have an urge to cough. And I have to remind myself, no need to cough. You don't have to cough. So I may have to pause here and there just to remind myself that I don't have to cough. So anyway, um, a few months ago, my 17-year-old son says to me, Mom, we need to spend some time together. We need to have some mother-son time. I'm like, are you talking to me? Because I'm thinking to myself, why in the world would this 17-year-old young man want to spend time with his mother? Because he has so many other more fun options, you know. And so I say, well, well, first of all, I'm thinking he must want some new sneakers. (laughs) That that must be what this is about. But then I say, well, do you want Lainey to go with us, your girlfriend? And he just looks me straight in the eye, and he says, No, Mom, I want to spend time with you. And I finally just, like, realized, okay, I think he loves me. (laughs) I think he wants to spend time with me because he loves me. Um, And I don't know why it took me so long to get there. Why did it take me so long to believe that he just wanted to spend time with me? So who is that for you? Who is that person that you just want to be with because you love them? Who is that person? Think about it. Well, for God, that's us. It's his people. That's who he wants to spend time with. And because of his holiness, because of his righteousness, he had to do a lot of work in order to be with his people. How do you know someone's happy to be with you? You know, that's one of the definitions of joy, is being glad to be together. It's one of my favorite definitions of joy, is people being glad to be together. How do you know someone's glad to be with you? Mm -hmm. You can see it on their face, right? And if you'll recall, at the end of our services, Um, Chris or whoever's preaching that day will leave us with a blessing. And that blessing says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And I love that so much because God gets so much joy shining on us, his face shining on us. And I love, even, even for me, Um, If during the week I'm feeling like anxious or like maybe sad or whatever the feeling is, I'll just take a moment and I'll just enjoy the presence of the Lord, his face shining on me. And my point is God wants to dwell with his people. And he did a lot of work. He made a lot of preparations in order to dwell with us. And that's what we looked at this past week. So, 
the Israelites, they're not ready. They're not ready. They're not prepared to be in God's presence yet. They aren't prepared to live under his lordship. They aren't prepared to inherit the promised land. They don't understand who God is. They are not yet a people who understand their laws, their culture. So God is going to have to teach them. God's going to have to teach them and make them into a nation. He's going to have to teach them an identity. And he wants their identity to be that he is their God and they are his people. They've been in Egypt a long time. So their faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has weakened. A lot of generations have passed, right? If you'll recall, Moses protested and he said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So it's like they've forgotten who God is. Here are our objectives tonight. We're going to explore the preparations that God asked Moses to make to establish the tabernacle and priesthood in order that he could dwell with his people. We're going to explore what we learn about God's revelation of his own character when the Israelites break the covenant, literally right after they say, we'll do whatever you say, God, right? And then we're going to discuss how Jesus is our high priest and we his royal priesthood. And our bottom line, God (laughs) makes a way to dwell with his people. By the way, the word dwell in Hebrew is literally tabernacle. So it means that God will tabernacle with us. So God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He had fellowship. It was this sacred space this sacred space where heaven and earth overlapped. But then, of course, sin separated these two places. God no longer dwelled with mankind. They were separate. And now we're going to see that God is preparing to dwell again with his people. He's creating a space where he can dwell with mankind again. So Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, and God gave him the blueprints for how to build a tabernacle where God would dwell again with his people. And it was quite detailed, wasn't it? The tabernacle and all of its furnishings were types and shadows of things to come that symbolized Jesus We see some kind of symbol of Jesus in every single item. It was a copy of the true tabernacle in heaven. And that's why Moses needed to follow God's design exactly. So what are some of the things that you learned this week about the tabernacle? Okay. What did you learn this week about the tabernacle? Different levels of holiness. The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. Very good.
Mm-hmm. God was very specific about the design and what was there. Yeah. Order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To make the things for the temple. Right. God told Moses he had given certain people gifts and talents in order to create these items. Absolutely. Anything else? Mm. Nice, thank you. Anything else? The character of the high priest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of foreshadowing of Jesus, thank you. Yeah, I think it said like glory and beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Beauty and glory. It matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the door. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very good. Anything else? Mm. Mm-hmm. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the mercy seat right between those two cherubim. And so what you see is heaven and earth overlapping again. And where is it overlapping? Where is it overlapping now? At the mercy seat. This is where God will dwell with his people. At the mercy seat. Behind the veil, in the Holy of Holies, at the center of the camp, is where God will dwell. And once a year, the high priest will enter to offer a sacrifice. First, a bull to cover his sin, and second, a goat to cover the sins of the people. And this happens on the (coughs) Day of Atonement when the blood of an unblemished animal covers sin. And the mercy seat, right there, behind the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, is where God dwelled and where he spoke to his people. And the high priest, one man, in the entire world, entered one time a year. What about the priestly garments? God gave Moses a detailed description of those and the rituals um, and the ordination service for the priesthood. Anything stand out to you about that? What? Royal colors. Royal colors. 
All the tribes are represented. I thought that was particularly um, special and definitely foreshadows the way Jesus is our advocate and intercessor and represents us to God. Anything else? Yeah. Speaking of that, while God was giving these instructions to Moses, what were the Israelites doing? I'll, I'll, I'll remind you. I'll remind you what they were doing. I didn't make this for this occasion, by the way. We had this in the children's ministry from a play from a long, long time ago. I think it was like a Fisher-Price cow or something. But anyway, yeah. So while God is preparing to dwell with them, they're <coughs> fashioning an idol, a golden calf, to thank for delivering them from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From the Egypt, Egyptians, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you ever um, started a diet of like, okay, today I'm not going to eat sugar or bread, and then within an hour you accidentally ate a piece of bread? <laughs> Have you ever done that before? Um, or maybe you vow... I'm not going to buy any more caramel macchiatos with oat milk with chocolate drizzle. I'm not going to do that anymore. And then your car is somehow mysteriously in the Starbucks drive through line. Well, my point is, it's easy to forget, and it's hard to remember. And the Israelites are surrounded by a polytheistic culture where multiple gods are worshipped. And, and have you ever been to a museum and you see all of the ancient idols? So they're in this culture where idols, creating idols, is the norm. And that's what comes natural to them. <clears throat> so it's a hard habit to break, right? It's a really hard habit to break. And God knew that that needed to be the first commandment and the second commandment. To put no other gods before me and to not make engraved or carved images. Because who represents God's image to the world? We do. We do. So the Israelites are super forgetful. God calls them a stiff-necked, rebellious people, and merging their beliefs with the people around them is something they're going to struggle to do for the rest of the Old Testament. They're going to struggle with that. They just can't seem to be devoted to Yahweh. But I have a question for us. What about us? I think it's also hard for us not to um, be influenced by our culture. It looks different. We're in a modern, we're in a modern culture. 
But we have to think about, like, when we start following Christ, what's the thing we have a hard time letting go of in our culture? How do we let our culture conform us? Something to think about. But even in the rebellion, we see something beautiful. We see God's mercy. Moses appealed to God when God wanted to destroy the Israelites. He said, don't forget the promises you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And on page 71 of our study guide, the author says, Moses clearly understood that if God did not go with them, Israel's history has come to an end. Would somebody read, maybe you, Sarah, Exodus 34, 5 to 6, please? Sure. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. Thank you. So through this situation, God proclaims who he is. He reveals his character to the Israelites. And Moses asked God, show me your glory. And maybe Moses meant for God to show him his power. But what God chose to reveal was the part of his character that is love and compassion. And God is just as loving and compassionate in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. His character doesn't change. He's loving, but he's just. So those who don't trust in him will experience his judgment. He won't excuse those who don't place their faith in him. But I do love the way that it says, his unfailing love to a thousand generations. It's so great. It's so great. So, okay, wait a minute, sorry. So God forgave them. For the golden calf. He forgave them for the golden calf. And you know what? The Israelites did as God asked them to do. He, they, went, they created the tabernacle, the priestly garments. They did all of the work that God asked them to do. So God gave Moses the design and plan in Exodus. And then we see the duties of the priests fulfilled in Leviticus. And when we come back in January, we'll be going into the book of Leviticus. So everything they executed to God's design, everything. Um, this is just kind of a side note. Something I read years and years ago in this book, it was so interesting um, because it was talking about the ceremonial cleansing that God required in order to make someone go from unclean to clean so that they could enter into the tabernacle. And um, it was talking about how important that was for them to survive as a nation and stay healthy as a nation. And it talked about a study where they saw that um, Jewish mothers who were giving birth lived longer. They, they had a higher um, rate of, they had a, Gentile mothers had a, a higher rate of death 
than Jewish mothers. And so as they studied that, they realized it was, this, it was the cleansing, it was the washing. It was, those are the things that kept the Jewish mothers alive. And I read that and I just thought, that is so fascinating. Um, just to understand a little bit more about why God might have wanted this ceremonial cleansing to be a part of the Israelites' lives. Um, all right, let's turn our attention to where we see Jesus in the story. Where are we in the redemptive history? First of all, everything about the tabernacle is a symbol and a type for Jesus and heaven. There's so much symbolism. You guys have mentioned some of that tonight. And all of this is temporary. It's all shadowing. It's all a step in God's redemptive plan. It's a shadow of what God's up to. The sacrifice of animals cannot really atone for our sins. The grain offerings, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, the purification offerings, the guilt offerings are only a symbol as God unfolds his plan to rescue humanity because we know it's only the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that can atone for sin and can purify us. Only the perfect sacrifice. But God is setting up the Israelites for them to look forward to the Messiah. We read in John 1, 10 to 14 this week that God made his home with us. Jesus made his home with us. He became one of us. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. Christ's work on the cross expanded the overlap. Okay? So remember I said earlier, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, this sacred space where heaven and earth completely overlapped. Then sin separated those. Then we had an overlap at the mercy seat. Now where does God dwell? He dwells in us. So now we have an expanded overlap of God dwell of, of heaven and earth together again. And of course we know that in the end, complete overlap again. And when Jesus breathed his last breath, what happened to the veil between the most holy place and the holy of holies? It's torn. Top to the bottom. Torn. Jesus is now our high priest, and we have complete access to the Father. We don't need an earthly high priest anymore. For your table exercise tonight, you'll see um, a stack of scripture, okay? This is, these are a lot of verses from the book of Hebrews. So what I want you to do, take that scripture, and um, you'll see each table has an assignment for what page they're to look at, because we're going to share all together in just a minute. But I want to encourage you to circle. Circle what you learn about Jesus as our high priest. Give you 10 minutes to do that. Circle what? Oh my gosh, I totally missed the 
what you learn about Jesus as our high priest. So if you'll look on the page, your table, your table three, so you would be group one. Either, you can either do it alone or as a group. It's up to you. You can do it as a personal reflection or as a group. It's up to you. question. For all my time in Israel, I have no idea the answer to this. Do they still do sacrifices today? Like, would it be the Hasidic ones, or the Essenes, or... Yeah, because how do they... Yeah. Yeah. Is it the wailing at the wall? (laughs) I don't know if it's a practicality. 
can't believe I didn't ask the rabbi. I guess it didn't occur to me. Phone <laughs> 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 a friend. Yeah, you have to have a way to do it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was no mention, no... Say what? Got a mosque on it, yeah. Didn't see the red heifers either. The red heifers either. That we just flew over there. On Saturday, did you see the man wearing different kinds of hats? Different kinds? No. All the different sects. That's how they indicate which rabbi they're following. Yeah, we did discuss that, yeah. But we weren't at the wall then. Did you know that they don't work? Did you know they don't work, the men? At all. The um, really, what do you call them? Orthodox ones, they don't work. They study the Torah. And the government subsidizes them. Because their job is to study the Torah. I don't know if the women have to work, but... <laughs> Did you move, move there? <laughs> Our guide, when the pandemic hit. <laughs> Our guide, when the pandemic hit, he was so excited because they paid him to stay home and study. He was ecstatic, yeah. Wow. And study. I, I guess, I don't know. Okay, I've got 22 places circled. Anybody else got more? I've got 22 places circled. Is it a competition? No, I'm just wondering if somebody brought up something I didn't. We're supposed to share this. Okay, I think everybody's kind of finished up now. What discoveries did you make?
from the passages about Jesus as our high priest? What discoveries did you make about Jesus as our high priest? And if you have something profound to share, I'll give you the microphone. That's right. Raise your hand if it's profound. (laughs) We learned he is our high priest. Thank you, Carl. What else? He understands our weaknesses. I love that. He's eternal. He was appointed by God. He was appointed by God, yeah. Mm. He is the sacrifice. Yeah. Once and for all. Once for all. Say that again, Paul. And the sacrifice takes away the sins of the people. Mm-hmm. The opportunity to go before him. He's always present. 24-7, we can be in his presence. We don't have to wait one day a year. 24-7. I loved um, how it said he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Mm. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. He intercedes for us. He mediates a new covenant between God and people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has compassion because he knows what it feels like to be human. Mm-hmm. He's gone through all of the temptations, but without sin. Mm-hmm. Anything else? In charge of God's entire house. Mm, in charge of God's entire house. He did not enter a man-made tabernacle. He didn't enter a man-made tabernacle, but heaven itself. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because of his blood, we can enter the most holy place. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you all for sharing. Great discoveries. So he is our high priest, and we are his royal priesthood. Um, Will someone read this passage? Someone, anyone. And you you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. 
What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are a chosen people. You are royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Mm-hmm. We're royal priests. We're a royal priesthood. And you guys know how much I love the Bible Project videos, so I want to show one really quickly on the royal priesthood. The Bible introduces humanity as God's royal priests, ruling with God in Eden, a place full of life and abundance and God's blessing. But humanity was deceived by evil and then exiled from Eden. And so humans forfeited their calling as the royal priesthood. But God promised that one of their descendants would be an even better priest who will defeat evil and intervene on their behalf to restore the blessings of Eden. This descendant would be a royal priest like Melchizedek that Abraham met in Jerusalem, and also like Moses and the priestly figure he saw on Mount Sinai. This descendant will also be like David and the priest king that David called my Lord in Psalm 110. And all of these figures lead us to Jesus, the ultimate royal priest who suffered and died for a failed humanity so that they could be restored to their original calling as royal priests. About a month after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples see him ascend into the skies. Yeah, this was the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and of the story of Jesus. He was exalted into the heavenly temple of God's presence and installed there as the cosmic royal priest. Now, Jesus also told his followers to wait for God's presence to come and guide them into the future. And so during Pentecost, a festival in Jerusalem, God's spirit comes down on them like they're each mini temples who are filled with God's presence. Mini temples? Yeah, just like God took up residence in the tabernacle and later the temple, now God dwells among the followers of Jesus and their bodies are the temple. The apostle Peter, who was there that day, later put it this way. You all are living stones built up as a spiritual house. You all are a royal priesthood. So they are all together God's temple. And they're also the priests, reclaiming that lost calling that God gave humanity to represent him and to rule the world on his behalf. The spirit is restoring the life and blessing of Eden to the people of Jesus. But these people aren't priests. They're merchants and fishermen, soldiers and slaves, tax collectors and the poor. They work in the world and not in temples. And yet they talked and behaved as if they were priests. They believed Jesus was the cosmic royal priest ruling all of heaven and earth as his temple and they saw themselves as an extension of Jesus here on earth, that is, the body of the Messiah. That's a beautiful image, but what does it actually look like? Well, if you went to the temple in Jerusalem, you would hear the priestly choirs singing poetry that honored God and that told the story of his love. Music was a bridge between heaven and earth. Also, the followers of Jesus started writing and singing new songs about Jesus as part of their priestly calling. Right. Priests also surrendered everything over to God through their sacrifices. And so followers of Jesus started giving themselves their time and their money and energy to serve those in need. And they said, these are the sacrifices that bring pleasure to God. 
Priests also intercede on behalf of others through blessings and prayers, advocating for the needs of everyone. Yeah, this is why the Apostle Paul called on the Christians living in Rome to all together offer their bodies as one single living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Yeah, Jesus offered his life in the ultimate act of love. And so they too were to surrender themselves to each other and to those who needed their help. This is the royal priesthood, Jesus style. When people imitate Jesus, the royal priest, they become a new humanity, living in a way that reunites heaven and earth. Exactly. And now you can see how the whole Bible is one unified story about a royal priestly humanity that lost its way. But then how God promised to raise up a priest who would give his life to restore us. And then how the stories of Abraham and Moses and David all point forward to a promised priest king. And how this all led to Jesus, our great high priest, who suffered on our behalf to restore us to our calling. And so this is why on the final pages of the Bible, there's a vision of a renewed and reunited heaven and earth with humans serving and ruling as God's royal priests forever. I think we have, I think we understand a little bit more about how our identity, individual identity is in Christ. Sometimes I think it's a little bit more difficult to understand what it means to have a group identity, to be a royal priesthood, to have an, an identity that's a community. So when I talk about us having a group identity as, royal pre, as a royal priesthood, what do you think of? How do we have a, a group identity? Church. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're brothers and sisters. Together. Yeah. And unity is a big deal. We read a lot in the New Testament about the importance of unity amongst our, the community of believers, right? And what do we do when someone in the community veers off the path? Hmm? We, ha- we help restore them. We remind each other who we are. Like we're, we're here to remind each other who we are when we forget who we are. So there's, there's even this accountability and this doing life together and encouraging each other and seeing each other as a group, as part of this group and finding your identity as royal priests together, as well as in our relationship individually with Christ. So what does it look like for you to be a member of the royal priesthood? Do we still offer sacrifice? Is there still an altar? Do we still offer sacrifice? Yeah, we're the sacrifice, right? We're living sacrifices. Yeah, what does that look like? Surrender. Surrender. Right. Mm -hmm. 
We live as a body, working together in unity. We represent God to the world. We reflect him, his character. Michaela? Mm. We live in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. We remind ourselves of the gospel so that we can live in the reality of who we are in him. Very good. <clears throat> we serve man. We serve others. And the last thing I put down is that we get to enjoy his presence. And that just brings us back to the beginning of tonight. God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be with us. And so we get to enjoy his presence as his royal priesthood. And I want to encourage you guys to practice that more, to really practice experiencing his presence, having those moments. Like I shared earlier, for me, it looks like me just having a moment of feeling God's face shining on me and just enjoying that moment of being with him. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, as we close, Exodus 40, the last chapter is the cliffhanger. So you got to come back January 11th because you got to find out what happens. But so all of the plans have been executed and then Moses can't enter the tabernacle. What is going to happen? Come back January 11th. (laughs) So here's your um, personal reflection time. So we'll give you just a few minutes, maybe five, five minutes to pick one of these questions, one or two of these questions to reflect on. And then Chris will come up and close us out.
Well, it is hard to believe that eight short weeks ago, we started our journey together, and it's been a great journey, and the journey continues. I don't think any church has ever used come back in January for Leviticus as a, as a drawback, but we'll be the first church in America to do that. Um, but we really want you to continue the journey, and uh, I think you'll agree with me, it's been such a worthwhile time of not only studying God's Word, but doing it together. There's something about doing it together in circles and sharing our experiences and our stories and our insights with one another, and that's how God designed it. So um, I want to thank each of you for making the sacrifice to be here, and I want to encourage you to come back. So registration is going to reopen. Is that right, Tammy? Yeah, but um, everyone here will get early. Of course, you'll have a few weeks. You'll have a head start. Okay, so we did um, uh, have to... Um, What's the right way to say it? Turn people away for this class. So, um, and we will reopen it to the whole church um, after you have an opportunity. So I do want to encourage you and kind of foot stomp while we're together here um, when you get the email to, to make a point to, to register and to be here. So the next two semesters, kind of a tri-semester uh, format. So the next two semesters will be six weeks and we'll have a smaller break in between um, and we'll start on, on January 11th. Uh, one thing I wanted to let you know about is as a part of Academy, as I shared um, when we opened up, you know, our, our dream, the goal of Academy is to equip um, disciple makers. You know, if, uh, all of us are not just disciples of Jesus, but we're meant to go and make disciples and tying all that back to the Great Commission. And part of it, uh, our dream is to see thousands of people, not just in our church, but in our city, uh, eventually come through Academy. And so you can just, you can see the beginning of that. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys are, are part of um you know, the, the first steps of Academy. We're trusting God um, to see so many more people experience it, and we're building it. So um, we'll continue to add classes, and part of that, too, is our experiences that we want to share together, you know, kind of curated experiences, um, learning environments where we can go and be together and experience something together and learn together. And so Israel has been uh, um, something that we've wanted to um, to do together as a church, and um, we feel like the time is right. So um, we're working through different partners right now, and, and we have a trip that we're going to take in April. And so a group of us are going to lead that, and um, we actually are looking to partner with a church in Jerusalem um, to not just do sightseeing, but to actually partner with a gospel ministry in Jerusalem um, and to experience the Holy Land and also bless the church and just partner with them as New City Church in Jerusalem, in the New City the city of David. Um, and so a group of us will, will be going on that trip, and we want to invite you to come. Um, we'll have about 30 spots, and uh, we'll open that up probably in the next four or five weeks, and it'll come to Academy first. So the, the idea is that um, experiences like this for our church would be run through um, the Academy, and so we want to give you that opportunity first. So I know it's kind of late notice. You're already probably making plans for 2023, but this will be in April, probably mid to late April. It'll be probably an eight to 10 day trip. And it is an exploratory trip. So if you're looking for like, hey, everything's gonna be exactly you know, this way, and it may not be that way, because um, we're the first trip to go. So we're, we haven't even decided on the partner. So you'll be, your feedback if you go on the trip will help us to decide if this is the right partner for New City. Um, but I just wanna share that with you tonight, just to pray about. And if you feel you know, God kind of tugging on your heart, um, Travis, Janusik, and Tammy are kind of working on that. So when we have the final details, we'll send it to you guys first, and we'll have a limited number of spots. But the idea will be that 
you know, hopefully uh, this will be a partnership that, that we can grow and, and, and take a trip every year, every other year through Academy. And we're hoping to do a lot of experiences like that as a, as a part of like field trips for Academy um, to go and have experiences together and, and learn together, right? So I'm excited about that. And if you're excited, um, you know, let us know. You can maybe let Tammy know that if you, you know, kind of want to be on the list, but we'll send you an, um, a formal invite. And if it fills up, we'll, we'll do more, okay? But I wanted to let you know about that tonight. Anything else? Am I forgetting? Okay, awesome. Hey, can we stand together? And um, I just want to um, just give you a benediction as we go tonight. And if you're able, would you extend your hands um, and receive this blessing tonight? Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord tonight, all throughout the week, and until we meet again, fill you with his peace and his mercy and his love. In the name of Jesus, our high priest. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless you.